Okay, here we are. The day just flies by so quick. I can't even believe we are. Uh, you guys can't even believe that we're getting ready to start either, do you? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You ever notice how quick the time just flies by? Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> you notice that every Sunday, don't you? Well, I'll tell you what. We are at the part of worship where we get into God's Word, where He has revealed to His people who He is and what He has for us in our lives. Uh, as we go through Revelation, and of course we do verse by verse, we finally have made a new chapter, chapter 14. Finished chapter 13 last week, and uh, as we go along that exposition of the apocalypse, we see in chapter 13 there was really uh, two characters that were beast. One beast being the Antichrist, the other beast being the false prophet. And uh, one comes out of the sea, the other's out of the earth. It says, chapter 14 follows, and it's kind of a remarkable relationship in that uh, when you compare it to chapter 13, you get a definite counterpoint in this section. It's a counterpart, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And here we have 144,000 Jews of the tribulation who are singing a new song. And also the Lamb is there. That is what is always the most exciting to see the Lamb of God. So part two of this chapter then also is going to be dealing with three different angels making proclamation of the gospel and giving warnings about the judgments to come upon those who do not trust in the Lamb of God. So that's where we are at. We are meeting an amazing group of men here, these 144,000 they demonstrate to us triumphant Christianity. Uh, when you come off of chapter 13, it uh, is somewhat depressing as you see that uh, the Antichrist, uh, the false prophet, are being able to do whatever they want. Satan, the dragon, is being able to do whatever he wants. Except for God is directing this whole thing and His plan is coming to fruition ultimately. But it seems like the enemy... Satan, sin, everything is winning. It looks like that. Believers are becoming persecuted people who are dying by the thousands, by the millions maybe, I don't know. Anyway, we have these 144,000 Apostle Pauls. That's how tremendous these are. Because if you remember Paul, you remember how uncompromising he always was in his ministry of preaching the gospel. And wherever he'd go, he would possibly get arrested. And well, he did. But he never backed down. He got arrested for preaching the gospel. He was unflinching and he was undaunted. He was undefeated. And that is what these 144,000 are like as they preach the good news that people can be saved from this terrible situation that they are in. The area that we're in in the first five verses, folks, 
It is victory. It's triumph. After spending two weeks in Revelation 13, we see victory. We see the ultimate of where all this is leading to. And Christ always wins. He's winning right now. It doesn't look like it to people, but He's always He never loses. He has never lost a battle. will never lose. Although it brings into question to a lot of people. But the answer about how these guys can be so uniquely triumphant is found in our text today. The Lord is going to identify these 144,000 who will preach the Gospel all over the world. And, you know, that's about three times the amount of world missionaries that we have today. So that is a lot of mission work that is being done at the worst time possible. And when you think of the Great Tribulation, and angels even will be preaching the Gospel with these 144,000 also, that's incredible. People are coming to Christ. People are praying for what? Revival? Well, do you know what you might be praying for? <laughs> the Great Tribulation? I just kind of throw that in there, but it might be one of the greatest revivals ever. Because people are coming to the Lord during that time, and we've seen it in other chapters. Chapter 7, for instance, and there were people that were coming out of that tribulation that uh, were going to heaven. And the reason was because they were martyrs. And uh, they came because of maybe the two witnesses, because of the 144,000. Uh, who knows? But at any rate, uh, it, that is good news, isn't it? To know even during that, that time that Christ can save people. See, He's in total control. This is what we call a sovereign God even when it looks like the worst of times. Did chapter 13 get you down a little bit? Did it kind of leave you a negative taste? Well, that's what 14 is about, is to raise us back up and realize the victory that we have now and coming. It's even going to be better. So we have great promise here. Uh, angels preaching the Gospel? I've never heard the like. What are you talking about? Well, we'll get into that. It definitely will be preaching good news because that's what the Gospel is. Euangelizo means to proclaim the good news, but it's also preaching judgment, which also is a part of the Gospel. The Gospel... As far as mankind is concerned, starts with the bad news first. That we have sinned against a holy God. And we are not holy. And we deserve His wrath and His justice. His judgment. We deserve that. And when we realize that I am such a sinner against a perfect holy God, that's whenever the good news then comes to us and we realize that Christ is the one that pays for our sins. He does not leave us in that condition as He justifies us and makes us adopted as children of God. Now, that's good news. But there's bad news, but it's all part of the good news. And honestly, I like what I think Sproul said that the Gospel is the whole... It's God. The Gospel is God. 
God is the Gospel. God is good news. He is the everlasting One Himself, isn't it? Isn't He? So, uh, it actually entails the whole truth of what we have revealed here in Scripture. And it's all about God, all the things that we can know and even the things that we don't even know. Which is much. But it's amazing how much He gives us here. And thank the Lord that if you've trusted in God's Gospel, which is really the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. It takes our sin away when we trust in Him and He empowers us to do that, to become new creations, then we have everything to shout about, don't we? It is good news, and that's why chapter 14 is quite a relief in a place where we've been very heavy situations. So, let's uh, eagerly grab our Bibles and we turn to chapter 14. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. We're going to be attempting 12 verses today. I first started with 5 and I said, you know what, we've been in Revelation for a long time and I'm sure that we could stay here for years or we could stay here for months or uh, maybe we'll just kind of keep moving along maybe a little bit more. Uh, so uh, I, I upped it up a little bit today anyway. So you'll be, uh, you'll be amazed if we really get through 12 verses, won't you? We will try that. Verse 1, 14. Then I looked, that's John, and behold, behold. If you haven't read this today or lately, behold this, folks. The Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with Him 144,000 having His name, and the name of His Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have been kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb, and no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. And I saw another angel flying in heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of waters. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Then another angel, a third one, followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. 
And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Holy God, You are righteous, true, faithful are You in every way. And as we look at this passage today, it deals with good news of the Gospel. The redeemed, the ones who have been purchased by the Lamb. And then we also see the other side of it, the ones who do not trust in the Lamb and go the way of the world, Satan, to please themselves, not to honor God, who ultimately take the mark of the beast. They will not see the holiness of what God is about in the heavens. They will not experience what salvation is. The grace of you. Lord, as we look at your word today, may we get a little more understanding of who you are and give us wisdom on certain passages that can be very difficult that we may know you. This is eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. The new song of the 144,000. We see uh, that John looks. That is something that he sees quite much through this recording of this book. He writes this down. A series of visions here, like in verse 1, that I looked... He says, behold, I mean, this is really something. Don't, don't take it lightly. <laughs> when somebody sees something that God has given them here, this is a vision. Verse 6, he saw an angel. Saw another angel. It's, not, uh, it's an angel that we've seen all throughout Revelation. We see angels constantly. And so here comes another angel. In this passage, there are three. Then we notice in verse 8, another angel he sees. And in verse 9, another angel he sees. A third one. So there's your three angels. Um, these are the visions. And he says, behold, check this out. Look, you won't believe what I've got to tell you what I saw. Behold, I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on the Mount Zion. The Lamb of God. We've seen the Lamb before. Uh, we know that the Lamb is like what John the Baptist had talked about. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. All through the Old Testament you have the sacrificial lambs that were to cover the sins of the people until Messiah came and gave the ultimate sacrifice. So you had the Lamb there. You had the Passover Lamb. Lambs all over the Bible. But the Lamb here is standing, or we, we saw Him standing way back in chapter uh, 5, for instance, 4 and 5, the very throne room of God. The very beauty of God were in those two chapters. And 
um, we see that the Lamb takes the scroll there. He's the one that overcame. He's the only one that can break the seals. And the Lamb was standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And He had that book. And so therefore, He started un, uh, showing, un, unscrolling it, unwrapping what He had given, and now to come the judgments to come. And so, uh, from 6 through 19, that's what we get. And um, so, chapter 20, I guess, is the, uh, the ultimate judgment, finally, after it all is said and done. But the Lamb is here. And you remember in chapter 13, we had the Antichrist. Jesus is the Lamb. He is Christ. So you have a direct, uh, I guess you could say, contrast of extreme measures the Antichrist, the Lamb of God. Which one would you want? Right? Well, Christ Himself appears here. He is the Lamb victorious. And we will see the church triumphant often through Reformed circles. In a lot of the writings you will hear of the doctrine of the church triumphant. Christ wins. And because He is our Lord and Savior, we win too. Um, we know that this is looking towards the future, even though we are redeemed now. There's something still better to come. All that tribulation is finally going to end. It'll come to the culmination and we look at it here. And you notice God, whenever He brings on judgment, have you noticed how often He comes back very quickly? to bring on the sunshine. You know, after you've had a few rainy days like we had this week and freezing weather, then the sun comes out and you go, praise the Lord. And you were praising the Lord even whenever it was freezing. But isn't it great to have the light come out? And that's what we have here in 14 as it starts up. Just great light. All the hope that you can imagine. Victory lies with the Lamb, folks. Amen. That's what this is all about. You know, people can marvel and wonder over Revelation. And, and you know, we down through many, many years ago, we did this a few times, and then I hadn't done it in, in, I don't know, close to 30 years, probably 25 or something. But I will say that, you know, you look at this, and what is Revelation? Well, it's really revealing Christ. People think of judgments in an awful, terrible time. And, Tribulation. Well, it is. But you see the glory of Christ here. And it started off in chapter 1 with the glory of Christ, the great vision. I mean, just the beauty of Christ is described there as good as we can get it. And then we get more descriptions of Him, and now we, we look at Him here as the Lamb. Is He not beautiful to you? As you look there with John and see Him as He is the Lamb. The Lamb means He died for you. The Lamb was slain. That's what it means for you. These people that follow the beast and the beast, they will be thrown into perdition. They will be judged in the severest way. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. And 
that is what we are going to be looking at as we go through this chapter, as we go further on. We have the Lamb here, though, of those who follow Him. They are before the throne in heaven. And we're looking, I think, all the way to past the time that Christ had come back to the earth and judged everyone there. We're now looking at the 144,000 who made it all through the tribulation. They don't die. Because remember, He put His mark on them and they were to live all the way through the tribulation and they go right on into the kingdom of God. Now, ultimately, we know that they're going to be glorified. They're still people. We have to be glorified. Everybody that goes into the kingdom of God or the eternal state, we know ultimately, will be glorified. This is a remarkable picture here in chapter 14. Do you get it? Do you get the contrast between 14 and 13 now? That is what we want to concentrate on because it's one or the other. There is no in between. It's either Christ forever or forever in hell. Forever in flames away from the glory of God. Forever. Still having a conscience. Still having life. But not the life that God has given us. And that's why we would want to be sensitive to the people who don't know Christ and give them truth. The truth that hurts and the truth that heals. That bomb in Gilead, right? So here we have what looks good to us, the Lamb. It means something to God's believers, doesn't it? Mount Zion. Say, what's Mount Zion? Well, Mount Zion is taken in different ways. If you were to look back in Psalm 2.6, of course, there's where you have the nations raging and God comes back with sneering at them and the world is against God. And he installs his king in verse 6 upon Zion, my holy mountain. And that's where Christ becomes the king ultimately. He is the king now. There is a kingdom now, but there is further a king that ultimately takes the reign completely over all. And a kingdom that where Christ is ruling and reigning. So, it says in 6 of Psalm 2, Upon Zion my holy mountain. That's used in the Hebrew Bible for the city of David, like in 2 Samuel. For you guys that are coming to the Bible study, you know that this is coming up because we just started 2 Samuel in chapter 1. Well, in chapter 5, Verse, uh, is it 7? I hope it is. You have nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. That would be when David finally moves to Jerusalem, or that Jerusalem area. It wasn't the Hebrew city yet. David finally moves there. It's called the City of David. It's just under the hill. Uh, It would be just the south part of the city of Jerusalem. 
the Jebusites had a fortress there and King David conquers it. And eventually it becomes a Jerusalem of the Jews and the holy city and where the temple will be built. Uh, not too long after David, you have, well, Solomon, his son, and he is the one where the temple is then built upon that mount in Jerusalem, which you're so familiar with, where the Muslim uh, temple is, the Golden Dome and such. You've probably seen that many times, but that is where the temple stood then. The city of David and what we notice here, that was called Mount Zion, but now it entails the city of Jerusalem and looking forward, Mount Zion is used metaphorically as the heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion. If you've read Pilgrim's Progress, you will remember Mount Zion is mentioned often there. And in Hebrews chapter 12, they come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Uh, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. So uh, in Mount Zion, this Revelation 14, 1 in our text here, it's the city of Jerusalem where Christ is going to return. And so there you have 144,000 and that's what's next here that's mentioned in verse 1 of Revelation. Uh, we were introduced to them in chapter 7 of Revelation. Uh, there you have the ones who are sealed out of Israel. And he says in verse 4, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Twelve tribes are mentioned. You have 12,000 times 12, 144,000. What would that be? Maybe three, four times as much, maybe as Jeff City or close to that. Can you imagine every man, woman, and child here in Jeff City being like Apostle Paul's along with uh, maybe other cities around us and towns and villages? Boy, they could be spread out and go uh, a lot of places, couldn't they, in delivering that message of the good news. This is an incredible thing. It really is. I don't think it's just symbolic because it is mentioning Israel. It is mentioning those particular tribes. There are many different interpretations. I'm going with that as a literal sense um, and let it be it that way. They're sealed by God for a special service. How about that? We can't lose with that one, can we? So they have names written on their foreheads. Uh, you remember chapter 13? People will worship the beast and they will have the mark of the beast. 666, right? Immediately in the next chapter, which we're in now, chapter 14, you have the counterpart of God's people being marked. Are they literal on the forehead or anything like that? Uh, maybe, probably not. Uh, not to even have to get into that, but the thing is, is that it definitely means something more than, uh, you know, just, well, you know, 
what, what does that mean? Well, it means ownership. It means that God owns them. They're bought with the price. Price of the blood of the Lamb. And if you were to think back in the ancient world, ownership would be shown by... If, you, if, if an owner of a slave has this slave and he, wants to claim, he claims as, as his, he would give him some kind of a brand. Maybe a branding iron that they would use, but that's to show that that is his. He owns it. Now, um, these are marked servants of God who are owned by God. And that is not too far-fetched, is it? God owns them. He has, he's, has this, they have these mark, the marks that would be of the name of the Lamb and His Father. Uh, I think of John 10 where it talks about the shepherd and his sheep. I know my sheep. You know, they they hear me and they know me, right? And then he talks about that he will protect his sheep and he will never lose his sheep. And then he says, I and the Father are one. And so the Father owns the sheep and he protects them. We, he, there's double protection there of his sheep. We are in his hands forever, eternally. Based upon the Lamb who did His work for us, didn't He? So we belong to the Lord our God too. We have that mark. You know what the mark could possibly be? The Holy Spirit who owns us. The presence of the Spirit in us is our mark that we are belonging to Christ. You ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, self-control. We have the fruit of the Spirit which people can see. Some don't see it very clearly. Some others show and demonstrate that they are different than the world. But if you are a believer, you do have the fruit. 20-fold, 40-fold, 60-fold, 80-fold, whatever. The thing is, is that we belong to the Lord and He's put His mark on us too. We're evidence of the fact that the Holy Spirit gives proof that we are His. Even if it doesn't show to anybody else, He also is our teacher and we know Him because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. If we do not have the Spirit of Christ, we do not belong to Him. That's made very clearly in Scripture. So we have His mark, don't we? Uh, now you get this as we move on. Verse 2, I heard a voice from heaven. Here we go again. Like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder... It's loud again, isn't it? It's loud in heaven. It's not quiet. It's loud. It's loud. There's a lot of praising God going on. 
It's not quiet. People are not holding back. When we get to heaven, you might be really quiet here, but I want to tell you, God's going to say, I got you completely now because you got a glorified body and you're going to enjoy this. You can't help but shout out praises to God and sing with a perfect voice. <laughs> Every note will be perfect. Glorified. That sounds exciting to me. Knowing that I can't hit a wrong note. I like that idea. Do you like, you like that idea? Well, you know what? Loud voices, we will not be ashamed. That's going to be a mighty anthem in this section here that is being done in this new song. And it's dealing with the redeemed. And it's a sound of many waters. We've seen that in Revelation already. I'm going to save some time and not go through all the passages. But in the Old Testament, you will see many waters. And even in the Psalms, it speaks of loudness. You ever been by a big waterfall and it's coming down and, and you don't even hear anything? How about Niagara Falls? You know, mighty sound of waters. Well, that's what's going on. It's exciting. It speaks of the might and the power of God. That's attributes of God as we go through here, isn't it? We can't speak enough about the attributes, the characteristics of God. People going to be in the very presence of God, experiencing all this. By the way, your ears are going to be glorified and it's not going to hurt your ears. You want peace? You get absolute peace in heaven while there is loudness going. There's a new song happening here. I like it when we learn new songs. I love it, you know, it gives us something fresh to sing. That's why we always try to come up with some fresh things. You know, we do the hymns and we've done them for years and years. And along with the hymns, we do songs that are actually new hymns. Some of the ones that we've been singing, you know, Matt Papa, Matt Boswell, uh, the Gettys, uh, Sovereign Grace Music. Their lyrics are solidly right on. They, they, the theology is tremendous. You guys notice that from those songs. They're like hymns. There's been some that we've been singing lately that sound exactly like hymns, but really they're not in the hymn books. Yet, they will be. So some people say that you should only sing hymns from a hymn book. From a, or some say only from a Baptist hymnal. Others say no, only from Presbyterian hymnal. Lutheran hymnal. But it, aren't you glad that we can do songs that aren't necessarily bound by that. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But here's a new song. What is this new song? Wouldn't you love to learn this new song? It says here, no one can learn it. <laughs> Will we be able to learn it then? Well, I don't know. I will tell you that it's definitely dealing with the redeemed. We have an idea. But it says here, the only ones that can sing it are the... No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. We are also purchased. Uh, but the theme of this song here really is about deliverance. It's about redemption. It's a redemption song, of course. Deliverance. Purchased. Redemption. That's the Greek word. And I think it's uh, agorazo, uh, which means to buy in the marketplace. 
That's one of the words that is for our English word redeemed. You see that quite frequently through the New Testament. Agarazzo. Uh, marketplace. What do you do in the marketplace? You buy. We were bought. We were bought and paid for. It's effectual. We belong to the Lamb. We are now separated from the evils of the world. That's what sanctification is. Being, We are separated and we are being separated. It's a constant thing that goes on and on. We have been justified. One time thing. That means we've been declared righteous. Our sanctification goes kind of in and out. But we belong to the Lamb. We are being separated from the world continually in all of its terrible philosophies that it has. Philosophies are being developed right before our eyes today that's being carried out in the government's laws are being changed. And uh, so we just keep marching on in victory. And uh, we're not of this world anyway. We win. God's going to work His thing and the uh, definitely these 144,000 will be separated from the apostasy of the beasts. It says uh, they sang a new song before the throne. Let's just go to Psalm 33, 1-3. I like this. Uh, most often it is really dealing with redemption. 33... 1 through 11. Sing for joy in the Lord, O ye righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. It's becoming, that's what we do, isn't it? That's our nature. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings, or a guitar of six strings, <laughs> or a bass with four strings, or a piano with the 88 keys. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Sing to Him a new song. When you are redeemed, you have a new song. Boy, I'll tell you what. I knew uh, that there was something to that new song when I got out of the past music that I used to perform for years and got to play a new song. And that meant many songs. Constantly playing a new song, though, that there was a new song just singular. It's the re redemption song. We, we all know that. We have become saved in Christ. right? Delivered from our sins. A new song. These 144,000 were delivered in the sense that they were taken all the way through the tribulation. They had to suffer a lot of things. Everything that Paul suffered, I'm sure they suffered and or, or will suffer. <laughs> And even more, maybe. God brings them all the way through. Right on into the kingdom. And here they are before the Lamb. They have a song to sing that nobody else has ever sung. Because God took them through all of that of the worst time ever. That's why they're able to sing a song that nobody else can learn. Yes, we were delivered like them, but yet I don't think we can compare to all the things that Paul went through and what they're going to go through. And that's why I think it says here, 
no one could learn the song except the 144,000. Only they who have experienced the truth that they have experienced are able to understand it. Huh. That's amazing. Keep on reading. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures. We've gone through that several times. We'll move on. And the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased, redeemed, agorazo, agora, marketplace, from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. Not defiled, that's interesting here. Or are we saying, uh, John's saying here that there is an elite celibate body? That sounds really odd. Well, I take these as to be men. Uh, and nothing against the ladies here. I'm just saying that uh, as you look here that uh, they might not been defiled with women. I think it really indicates that these would be men. And of course in the Bible and throughout the New Testament uh, you will see that men are given the roles of pastors and elders. They are the ones who take the gospel out. Now do women, are, are they uh, to, to not take the gospel out? Of course they are to take the gospel out, but not the role as a, an official pastor position, even though they can definitely teach the gospel out there as they teach the women and, and the children. And, and uh, there are many things with the Word of God. These men just are in a role. Are they better than women? Absolutely not. We know that Christ set the tone for the way that it is supposed to be between men and women, and they are absolutely equal. And we see the privileges they're given. They're first to see the resurrected Christ because the other the apostles ran. They left. They fled, didn't they? Anyway, they were given that privilege and many other privileges all throughout the New Testament. They host their house as a church and on and on through. So I want you to make sure to know that I'm not against women at all. I'm just saying that I do believe that these are men. They have not, um, they're not defiled with women. I'm saying it's, it's a defiling for even marriage. You mean that's a defilement? No, not at all. Matter of fact, I don't even think we're, we're, we're thinking in the physical sense that the way that we would normally think here, uh, I think it goes much different than that. Uh, they probably are married and have wives and have that kind of life that any married couple would have. Only they're going out and, and evangelizing here. Uh, it doesn't mention anything about the wives, so I won't go any further with that. But But I will say that they are kept pure. And if you look out through the Old Testament, quite frequently Israel is like God's wife. She commits adultery with God in the sense that they follow other idols, other gods. And there's a spiritual fornication, a spiritual adultery they did not keep themselves pure. 
And that would be the idea here. Here you have 144,000 who keep absolutely pure. In a time that is immoral, I definitely you think of pornea, immorality. Uh, when you look at this, it's definitely a, a message that we live in a time, in our time right now, it is. it seems like the, the worst time of Adultery, fornication, pornea, that pornography constantly all the way throughout the world and people have more access than ever before. Mankind is mankind and he'll do what he's always done. Going back, we see all this in Genesis. So I'm not saying that it's worse, it's just that there is more opportunities and through this internet world that we live in, we've heard about some of the horrors of that. Uh, and there will be seductions of the beasts that uh, they will come forth, whether it be immorality or every, anything and everything else. So it can be physical adultery, physical immorality, definitely that comes into play. And we would always say to our young men, keep yourself pure because that is a tool of the devil uh, outside of marriage. We know that sex is meant for marriage, God's gift. But anything outside of it is wrong. It is evil. It is sin. And, and it is a, it's a horrible sin. It is not one that is to be taken lightly that is taken today. And I am, I am sad. I've, I've seen where uh, so many, quote, Christian couples now are living together without being married they're actually living in what we always knew as called living in sin. That is wrong, it's bad, it's sinful, it is never right. No matter what kind of excuses people come up with, and usually it's saying, we want to make sure it's right before we get married. That is never included in a covenant. And so I bring that forth saying, do not, whenever you see somebody you want to be very loving and still yet Christ-like in every way, but we can we do not condone that kind of thing and and all the uh, pornea that's going on today. Anyway, these hundred forty-four thousand resist the seductions of the beast in the world. Uh, they do not worship him. They will not. They have not allowed His mark to be placed upon them. And it said in Revelation 13, if you don't take on the mark, you're not going to get anything to eat, really. So a lot of people succumb to the pressure. Most people are overwhelmed and want to worship this Antichrist. So the mark is going to be taken by most people. It will never be taken by believers. The 144th, because we know that all judgment will be put upon them, as it said and as it will say later on in our text. They did not allow that mark to come upon them. They served the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they are pure, as it says here. They were not defiled. They're chaste, they're pure. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Almost sounds like a children's song, doesn't it? The little lamb. Well, this is the mark of all believers. They follow the lamb. This is really distress, uh, uh, expressing discipleship. Uh, 
We got a lot of doctrine in here today. You notice that? Attributes of God, redemption, um, heaven, singing, keeping pure. You go on and on. Then it'll be about the judgment of God, the grace of God. You know, we don't have to choose topics when we do expository. They're already there, aren't they? That's what God provides. We don't have to make them up. They're there. You just look in there and you see and you see what God who, and who He is and what He is desiring for us. Well, the characteristic of a Christian is to follow the Lord. He said to the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler said and asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, follow the commandments, right? And he says, I've already done that. And then he says, what? Sell everything you have and follow me. He couldn't do that. He walked away, sadly. He did not walk and follow the Lamb. See, that's, I mean, and this guy's as religious as you can get. This guy's as good as you can get. He's good as gold. He looks like an outwardly and everything's about him. That's the problem. We all can come that way. Or we can just look horrible. It doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. We are sinners. He needed to follow Christ. And so, that is the idea of following the Lord his principles, his activities, everything about him, his teaching. Well, we go on further here. Follow the Lamb. They were purchased from among men. We talked about that re- redemption as first fruits. Purchased as first, first fruits, uh, sacrificial metaphor, first fruits. Old Testament people went out into the fields at the barley harvest. They would bring it into uh, the temple after picking that out of the field. They would take a sheaf and wave that as an offering. And it was saying, this is the best of the grain. This is the best. It's the first fruits. Now also, it can mean there are more to come. And it certainly means that too, doesn't it? The best. And the best is yet to come. We're all the best, right? They're the first fruits in that, maybe like of Israel here, uh, that there are going to be other Jews, other Gentiles coming to Christ. There will be more fruits in that sense. We know there are already have been believers because we are before that time too, right? But it says these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. I think it's pointing all the way back to the sacrifices in Leviticus and such where we find that throughout the lives of the Jewish people going to the fields and waving that. We know that Jesus Christ is the first fruits and all who come after Him resurrect, uh, they are also the fruit, right? We're part of that. The first fruits, as Romans says in Romans 11, 26 and 27, there are all of Israel will be saved. All the ones who are left, ever how many that is, and regardless of when somebody might believe, believe this or not believe it, the thing is, it is true that all the ones who are elect out of Israel will be saved and there will be a time. And I've gone back and seen a lot of Reformed writings and I found out that most Reformed 
teachers that are really good and authors believe that. They might disagree on the time when that happens, but uh, most most of, of all, it's, it's not a figurative thing. Uh, and we're talking about the nation of Israel whenever I say that. So it's not just because I'm trying to take my own favorite position. I'm just saying that there will be more of the Israelites to come uh, in Romans 11, 26, 27. Okay, anyway, no lie is in them. No lie is found in their mouth. Uh, they're blameless. Uh, they're guided by truth. They don't lie. They're, they're truthful. They're guided by purity. They, beyond reproach, there's no reason for anybody to say, well, you're not a Christian because of this and such and such a bad sin that sticks out and gives a bad witness. No, they're blameless. There's nothing there that anybody can blame them. Now, people can make up a lie and make it seem like you are uh, blame, to, to blame, but no, they're blameless. They have the principles that are related to the Lamb of God. Because they follow the Lamb, which all believers do, they have the characteristics of Christ. They have the, the life of Christ. They have Christ in the way that He thinks. The mind of Christ. Ephesians 1.4 Here is what is happening to us and why and where it is going. And you know, Ephesians 1 is one of my favorite all-time chapters, of course. And I like the first few words, just as He chose us in Him. And that deals with electos, uh, chose, elect. Before the foundation of the world, there it is, that we, what's the reason that He chose us? That we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. Blameless before Him. He chose us that we'd be holy, separate, set apart. That we'd be blameless. That's incredible, isn't it? Uh, Ephesians 5.27 speaking about Christ and the church and marriage. Here you go again. That He might present Christ might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's us. There, we are to be holy. Be holy for I am holy. To be set apart. To be like Christ. And that's the ultimate goal too. Not only now, but ultimately that we will be perfectly clean no blame whatsoever. Everything. Not to be seen. And of course, Colossians 1.22. This is what He's doing to us and guess what He will do, us, do to us when we are glorified ultimately. Yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death, that's Christ, in order to present you before Him, God, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established, steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, and go on. He <laughs> said, What's that mean? <laughs> you see an if there. Well, hang on. We, we got it at the end uh, of this Revelation 14 section today, too. You can say, Ooh, ooh, if we do that, that sounds like 
works. We are created for good works. Okay, uh, summing up that part, the message of these five verses, the next part's not going to go as long as what we've just done. It's like we always do, isn't it? 144,000, they arrive safely. They are faultless by reason of the Lamb of God. That's the reason they're blameless. That's the reason that they are pure. And Christ offered these people and us and all believers all the time holy, blameless lives. He gave to the Father and He offered Himself to the Father an atonement for our sins. God is pleased with that. Now, part two. Are you ready? We're going to fly now. This is going to be the jet tour through the next section of verses. <laughs> These are three angels. Those were the 144,000. And believers can definitely identify with them because we're the same. We're saved the same way. There is no difference in that. Okay, now. First angel. He's flying in mid-heaven, folks. This is rather remarkable. Can you believe this? I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God, give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs and waters. It is the Creator God. Um, the reason John sees the angel flying in mid-heaven that is that this is a message that is to be seen and heard. And everybody is going to see this at this time. An angel flying in mid-heaven. An angel preaching the Gospel. You know, Peter says that they long to look into these kind of things. And they don't preach the Gospel. You didn't get the Gospel from an angel, did you? Unless you call an angel, the, the, which can be this, angelos. It means a, a, a messenger. But most often in Scripture when you see angel, it's that angel that we all know of that's uh, the uh, other beings that are spiritual. Um, seen and heard by all. Even the Antichrist, even the dragon, will not be able to stop the Gospel. The eternal Gospel. Unable to stop the preaching of it. The Word of God has never been stopped ever in history. Not now. Never ever. It has always been here and the Word of God is proclaimed. So frequently we see where Christians, because of their testimony, where people will persecute them and even kill them and the Gospel message never stops they seek to restrain the preaching. And you can go into Muslim countries and the preaching of the Gospel is still there. People are coming to Christ in places we wouldn't even dream of. God works miracles and brings the Word to them into the hands of those uh, who are going to, that are the elect. The angels in mid-heaven have mid-heaven as their pulpit. Can you imagine a better place to preach the Gospel 
People look up. Nobody has an excuse. And yet most of the world is going right to hell. And that's exactly what they want. Well, if they, if nobody wants to say, I want to go to heaven. But they do not listen to the truth. They've been blinded. They were blinded by Satan. And in 2 Thessalonians it says they're blinded by God. They cannot. They will not because they cannot. And only until God opens people's eyes, nobody is going to go to heaven unless God opens their eyes because nobody can choose God on their own. Nobody has that kind of power. It's only from God. And so if people do not respond to this proclamation, they will have eternal judgment. And that's basically what you're seeing with the message of these three angels. After we've seen something so beautiful, the eternal gospel is continuing. You know, I say, what's the an eternal gospel? I don't think it's really anything different than what is seen. And some people say, well, there are different gospels in the Bible. And then I see in Galatians where it says, if there's any man or even any angel preach a gospel that's contrary to the gospel that comes from God, it's false. So the gospel, like I said, let's go all the way back. It's God. And it's always the news, the everything. This whole Bible is the gospel. First Corinthians 15 also says that it's the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. The whole thing, and what we need to present is God as a holy God. You are not. You are sinful. You break God's law. You are not following God. God has judgment coming. And you will not enter into His eternal life unless you trust in His way to get to Him, which is through Christ. Bad news, good news. You know what you see here in Revelation 14? Bad news, good news. Good news, bad news. Here, here it is, an eternal gospel to preach, to proclaim. And that word is euangelizo. And that is dealing with you, good, angelizo, angel, message, good message. The good message is you can be freed from that. And that's exactly what you see in 6 and 7. Eternal gospel. And he's saying it with a loud voice. And that means everybody in the world is hearing this. You've got 144,000 Apostle Pauls and then an angel that's proclaiming this for everybody to hear. Can anybody say, well, I never heard the Gospel. Even today, the Gospel is preached all over the world. People do not have that excuse. Say with a loud voice, what does he say? Fear God and give Him glory. Boy, that's good enough right there. Fear God. That you know, and that entails a, a kind of a, a fear that you're in such awe. It's like this. There is the the fear that is an awe and reverential respect. This is a fear that it's I think phobos phobia there, and of course you've probably heard of that word. It's dealing with fear. Uh, man, you judgment is coming. So there needs to be the fear of God put into everybody so that they see where they're really at. In bondage to Satan. Fear God and give Him glory. What's the chief end of man to give God glory? And enjoy Him forever. Amen. It starts with fear. What is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom? 
The fear of the Lord. Proverbs constantly says that. Because I'm running out of time, I won't go through passages, but Proverbs 23.17 is one. 1 Peter 2.17 is talking about fear of God. Have the fear of God, knowing He is holy. He is awesome indeed. We as Christians fear Him in the right way. And we are in and all of Him. And we desire to live holy lives because of Him and we depend on Him totally. We're in awe. We reverence Him. We worship Him. When you're worshiping Him like today, you're fearing God. Because you know He's the only way. Give Him glory. What What are they doing here at this time? They're fearing Antichrist. And they are worshiping Him. Bowing down to Him. And there are some people that have not taken the mark yet. And they get a message, fear God and give Him glory. And there's going to be some that are elect that are not saved yet that will hear that message. But you notice, judgment has come. There's the bad news. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water. He made this earth. He's the Creator God. You owe everything to Him because He created you and everything there. You can't get away with saying, oh, you don't exist, so therefore I don't have to worship you. (laughs) Well, that is quite the lie. Of course, that is taught all over our world today, and especially to young kids uh, in our institutions. Well, the Word of God will continue to go forth. The eternal gospel will continue to go forth. Here it is, fear God, giving glory. It's the last call for repentance. That is what the gospel is about. It's to bring one to repentance, which means to make a complete turn around it, homologeo, and, and which is a confession and confessing that He is holy and that you are not and you need Him. That's, he's, that, he's the only way you can be holy. Uh, We're not to give glory to the images like all the other people are doing. Idolatry and such. And at this time here, they are worshiping images, remember? Those people, it's too late. There are some people who have been hanging out somehow. God can keep them alive somehow. Don't take the mark is what He's saying there. So believers cannot take that mark. Because if they do, we'll see later on what the deal is. But here's the second angel. The second one followed, saying, Fallen, fallen. Is Babylon the great? She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Second angel. It's necessary to do away with Babylon. Babylon here could be a spiritual sense that it's representing the one-time city and nation of Babylon, that whole area there that had... Uh, come to the point of a one world in the sense worshiping their idol that they put up and their work and they could do anything because now they were all people as one and God, we know in Genesis 11, what did He do? He separated them all and divided them and they had to go to other nations like they were other places like they were directed to in the first place because God doesn't want people to be as one and that's what the world is after. So they are always after and now they're at that point where they can be one through technology and such. You don't even have to know somebody's language and you can talk with them clearly as an interpreter through 
the airwaves somehow makes it possible for them to speak to you or write to you in your language. Incredible, isn't it? It's necessary for God to do away with Babel. At that time, some in the early church thought that it was Rome. Very well could be. Uh, Rome is where the religions of the uh, Babylonians were. That's where they came and made their one seat there. And out of that came all the different religions of the world that expanded on. We It could be that it's the end-time apostate political religious capital of the world empire of the Antichrist. Could be Rome... Or it could be in that ancient Mesopotamian city which is renowned for luxury and corruption all in the past. And it could be that Babylon could be the papal Rome as many of the reformers believed and, and believe. And it could be all of the above. You know, something sounds like that. I, I don't know. But Babylon has been made all where all the nations of the world will drink of the wine of the wrath of her immorality, her porneia. And uh, so, you know, it's a connection with Babylon. In Revelation 17 and 18, we will run into that, and it's definitely dealing with uh, political, economical, religious Babylon, uh, a system where that Antichrist is ruling and reigning with it. It's dominating the world that it finally comes into play. We know that there are many people in this world that are striving much to get that together. Now when that happens, I have no clue. won't even play with that, but I will say that it's closer than it ever was before of getting to that point that we see there. Fallen is Babylon. Why is that mentioned fallen? Well, in... 17 and 18, we will expound upon that. God has to bring it down. So the second angel is saying all of this, all of this worldliness that is so at the top of the world, it's coming down. And finally, you will have the kingdom of God ruling, where Christ is ruling. The passion of her immorality. In verse 9 now, the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships a beast, the beast and his image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. There's no hope for anybody that has taken the mark. Can you imagine that third angel saying that and those people are hearing that? Well, to them it probably doesn't matter because they still don't want to believe in God. When he's made it the most apparent that he possibly can. I mean, God is pulling out all the stops. But he's not being surprised because only the elect are going to be saved anyway. Ultimately, it's really who's calling, but he's saying there's going to be judgment, and that's part of the eternal gospel in the sense that the gospel has to be riveted into people that they are sinners and they need to be saved by God's grace. 
The gospel of the day is come down the aisle and accept Jesus and you'll be a member of this church and everything will be good the rest of your lives. You know, and that sounds really good to people. They don't have to hear about their sin. It's called the feel-good church and that's been going on for decades. And that's why you don't have proclaiming of the truth of the Word of God hardly in this city at all. I know of a few that are preaching it pretty good. Maybe not verse by verse, they're doing certain things. And I'm not saying verse by verse is the only way, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying they do pick and choose and let it be what they want, basically. And, and not that there's no good preachers in this town. I'm saying most of these churches here I would not set foot in. You guys wouldn't either. And that's probably why we're here. But I'm not saying, hey, we're the only ones. I've got a lot of good friends that are and that are very good brothers and sisters in Christ all around this area and through mid-Missouri. And I you know, would call them dear. I'm brothers. I definitely do. But uh, I'm just saying that what what is happening here is that there's the wrath of God that is preached here. And this is what people don't want to hear so much. I have to wrap this up. It's a warning to those who take the mark, as many as who do not worship the image. If you do not have that happen, most likely you're going to be killed. Right? That's what was said in chapter 13. And now it's countered here right in chapter 14. If you don't listen to this Word of God, if you... You know, if, if, if one worships the beast, then he's going to drink the wine of the wrath of God. And I know a lot don't like to hear that, but it's part of the Bible. It is part of the Gospel. The eternality of hell, folks, is real. And if we doubt that, John Stott, great theologian, wrote tremendous books, and he came to the conclusion though, I've said this many times, of where yes, they will not be unpunished. They'll be punished for a time and then that will be it. They will no longer exist. They get the punishment of hell and the fire or whatever it is and then that'll be all. But my Bible says we have eternal torments. Uh, fire, brimstone, um, we're talking about day and night. We're talking about forever, eternal, forever and ever. Matthew 3.12, Matthew 13.41 and 42, Matthew 25.41. The one I use the most is Matthew 25.46. It is at the time of the great white throne judgment. Uh, what am I talking about? Uh, excuse me. Uh, this is the goat, uh, sheep and goat judgment. It's before the great white throne. Excuse me there. I'm trying to turn to Scripture. 46. Uh, well, 2541 says uh, one thing, and then it says, then he'll say also to those on the left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So anybody who follows the devil, then they have the same place. That's where they're going. Now verse 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
eternal punishment? How could you be punished eternally if you are punished and then you don't exist anymore? How can punishment continue when the subject of it has ceased to exist? There's no longer any punishment. It's eternal punishment forever and ever and ever. And that's for most of the world that we know of today. Most of the world in the past that we know of, but God is going to have many, many myriads and myriads are going to be there in heaven. So we concentrate on that too. Saints have to endure to the end. Have to? How do we endure to the end? And we, we look at our Revelation passage in 12. Here's the perseverance of the saints. You know, the, the tulip thing, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and then P is for perseverance of the saints. And, of course, really, uh, some could say it's the protection of God. Uh, it, that's how we persevere. We persevere because of the work of Christ on the cross and that He continues that work. He who works in us will be faithful to continue that to the end. So the if is, if we're believers and the Gospel message goes out, you can only have heaven and Christ if you trust in God and if your life has been changed, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, if you do have all of those, you are Christ, you belong to Him. And John 10 and Philippians 1, 6 and Matthew 24, 13, John, uh, or Romans 8, 31 through 39, you could go on and on and my time has ended and I have to close what we're saying is that the perseverance of the saints is that it's Christ that keeps you in Him. It also behooves people who uh, have, at times, cannot really look at anything and prove that they're Christians. And maybe they need to examine to see if they are in the faith. And that's what we cry out to people who, if they are not really excited about Christ and His Word and His truth, and really uh, are enjoying the things of the world and go on and on with that, you need to really examine. Just because you have made a profession of faith, uh, you're not just in the clear, but if you really are of God, you belong to Him, you can be what we saw in those first five verses. And we're His, we're married to Him. Twelve o'clock on the dot. <laughs> Father, great God, You are holy, You are awesome. And Lord, we've looked at a great deal of doctrine here in this section. It's 12 verses, but it's so much about You, Your story, the eternal Gospel, and what You have planned, and what You are doing in our lives right now, what You have done, and what You will do. And Lord, we are thankful that we who have trusted Christ we are anchored. We are in Christ forever. We will live and be yours in a place that we long for. That is really our home. We look to that. In the meantime, help us to take this gospel everlasting to a lost and dying world to give them hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Okay. Uh, uh, uh. Let's see. Hey, we have two visitors that came here today. It's very nice to have them. Did you say Oklahoma City? Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, Missouri. Is what, no, uh, Oklahoma. We have a little bit of everything. California, New Mexico. And uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Taylor? Tyler. Tyler. Tyler, I know it's going to mess it up. We have one of our congregation by the name of Taylor, and so you know what I call him? Tyler. Tyler. <laughs> and Ashley? I got that one right. One out of two. Okay. Or do I get three? Uh, maybe uh, a half a point for getting the T right. And it's got Y in there and L O R. Okay. <laughs> one letter, basically, right? No. Anyway, um, thank you guys for coming. We really appreciate that. Are you just in Jet City for a vacation or something? Or are you moving? Uh, it's a quiet place. Pretty peaceful. It depends on where you go, I guess. 